Vaccine Watch on Ireland's Classic Hits. Let's get to our Vaccine Watch this week. And uh, with me in the studio, as usual, is Ruth to give us the update on all the figures. Ruth, where are we? Where are we? Well... We're not doing as bad as people probably think in the last seven days. So as of Wednesday, we have 789,526 first doses done and 331,477 second doses. So overall, there's 1,121,003 doses as of Wednesday. So we're getting somewhere. Well, we are, but we've had a few setbacks now, obviously, again, with the AstraZeneca uh, only being given to the over 65s. And then we have, of course, the setback of the big delivery that we were due for the Johnson & Johnson. That's going to be held up now, isn't it, as well? Yes, but Pfizer have come through and they have upped their delivery for the next couple of months. So that will hopefully cover what we're going to lose from those. All right, so the, the, the comments that were made by Leo Varadkar in relation to the AstraZeneca. So if you're offered the AstraZeneca over the age of 65 and you refuse it and say, I'm being vaccine cautious, and then that's your choice if that's what you want to do because of the news that we're hearing at the moment. And I'll get into that in a few minutes uh, when we're talking to somebody who'll be more uh, expert in, in relation to More qualified. To that. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, what happens if I turn around, say, at 66 years of age, and I say, oh, I'd rather not get that. I'm just a little bit cautious about it. What happens to me? If you turn around and you say you want Pfizer or Moderna instead, you're put to the end of the queue. So you will have to wait until the rest of the population are vaccinated is currently what they're saying. And they've been criticised over this. I know Powder uh, Tobin uh, criticised them over this, essentially being saying people are being punished by being for being cautious. Yeah. Okay, and so at the moment you're being put, basically you, you won't get another appointment there and then you'll be told you'll have to wait and you'll be given an appointment whenever we're finished with everybody else. Basically what you'll be told is whatever we have of Pfizer and Moderna has already been allocated to whoever else under the age of 60 and you will have to wait until they are all done until you can get your one. Okay, so we've, we've also caught up with the UK and Northern Ireland when it comes to an online vaccine portal. Uh, yes. on This is on the HSE uh, live website on the vaccine.hse.ie website. But, and how is that going and where can people call if they want to? So it seems to be going well. They had a huge uptake yesterday. It launched yesterday at 10 o'clock, I think it was, and they had 10,000 done in the first three hours or so, like fully registered to go get their vaccine. So it's vaccine.hse.ie is the website. But if you aren't so great at the internet, you can call them on 1850 24 1850. That's an easy number to remember. Okay, so it's 1850 24 1850. I'll give that number out again in a few minutes' time if you want to grab yourself a pen for people who don't have it. Now, the criteria for going onto the portal is that you must be over the age of 65 yes. currently at the moment. Now, that will change as time goes on, obviously. Yeah, but in at the next the couple of weeks. Okay, uh, and how long do they say? Okay, have they given a timeline of when? What's the next age category? I'd probably be the next age category. What's it, 50? <laughs> well, 50, the ne- 55, was it 50 to? Mm, the next age category is going to be 60 to 65. Ah, so I'm going to wait for two more categories. So they're saying now under 60s probably won't be vaccinated until June. Right, okay. But they are still, like Paul Reed said, that they are still hoping to have 82% of the adults done by June. So they're, what they're saying is they're expecting a huge delivery in June, essentially. Right, and they're okay. just going to, everyone's going to stand in line and bang, bang, bang. Not, not literally, but that's what okay. they're going to do. Okay, and in relation to the vaccine being given to the under 65s, currently, which vaccines will they be? They'll be the Pfizer and Moderna. So AstraZeneca has been given to 60, 60 plus. So anyone under 60 is Pfizer or Moderna currently. All right, okay. So I'm still in the Pfizer, Moderna. Yes. Okay. And the HSE is, cause, is working towards meeting a target of having you say 82% of the population uh, with at least one dose by the end of June. Is that a bit optimistic considering well, the, the kind of failures we've had so far? Well, if Pfizer keep upping their rollout as they do, we might need it. 
if they if they keep sending us half a million every month, then we actually could well meet that. Okay, and they've also then decided as well that those getting the second dose of AstraZeneca are due. They've extended that period of time to give more first doses. Uh, that depends on what category you're in. If you're in a slightly lower risk category, they're extending it just until they like fully investigate what's going on. But if you're in a high risk category, you'll still get your AstraZeneca when you're due to. Okay. And in relation to that, I mean, there, there is vaccine cautiousness around there at the moment, particularly in relation to AstraZeneca and more recently, I suppose, with the Johnson & Johnson. Of course. Is the Johnson & Johnson a single jab? No, that's a double... That's... Yes, it's a single jab. Okay. And and in relation to the cautiousness, have the government suggested that, you know, that in relation to that, that's, I suppose, when I look back at this, this idea of putting people to the end of the queue, I mean, there is a cautiousness out there, isn't there? Yeah, I suppose. Like, people are looking at... Now, you have to remember, all we're seeing are the horror stories. That's that's what's always going to make the news. But there are so many people who've taken them and been absolutely fine. Well, I am going to talk to Donald O'Connor in a second, who's a senior medical officer uh, with the Health Products Regulatory Authority. And I suppose what I listen to... I don't always agree with Anthony Fauci in America, but what he said is, this is the most analysed vaccine in the history of the world. In other words, we're watching everything. And he said that should be seen as a positive thing in relation to what we're discovering. Because he also referred to the fact that, you know, for many, many years, women took the contraceptive pill, which indeed caused blood clots, at a much greater rate than this particular vaccine. And yes, we seem to be... Are we being overcautious, do you think? (sighs) I mean, (laughs) that depends on your outlook, I suppose. Like, if you're on the pill, obviously, your chance of blood clots higher. If you smoke while you're on the pill, it, like, doubles again or something like that. So, like... It just depends on your own personal views, I suppose. So we we really should be looking at when we hear stories in the media that, you know, one in a million people or one in, or one to five in a million people may get a blood clot. We should be looking at that as a positive thing in some sense that we're actually established that and we're trying to do something about that yeah, rather than and looking at it as a bad thing. Yeah, and there's 999,999, whatever the nines are, like, who didn't get one. <laughs> All right, okay. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Ruth, for the update. And I do want to go to Dr. O'Connor, Dr. Donal O'Connor, Senior Medical Officer at the Health Products Regulatory Authority. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Um Well, first of all, can you explain to the listeners who may not be fully aware, what is going on, I suppose, with both AstraZeneca and the J&J vaccine and why the advice surrounding that vaccine, you know, I mean, or their use has been actually changed? Well, okay, Niall, well, it, it might be useful, it might be helpful for your listeners if I might just set out what, what we do as regulators in medicines and vaccine safety and bring you to why these recent updates and decisions have been taken. Um, So in the HPRA here, we regulate medicines and indeed vaccines and indeed wider than that medical devices and and indeed products for animals for the benefit of people. But underpinning all of it is safety and protecting the safety of the public. And in terms of the COVID-19 vaccines, we work in partnership with all our European partners. We contribute experts to the various scientific committees of the European Medicines Agency, uh, the, the EMA, who give, who give a license in Europe for vaccines to be available then for all the public health authorities throughout Europe. And we'll only approve the vaccines. I think you mentioned Dr. Fauci and the scrutiny of the vaccines, and, and I think I want to emphasize that. We'll only approve a vaccine so that it's available as an option if it's met really, really high standards of both efficacy so that it works well, safety and indeed high quality. Because this vaccine is under a microscope, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Exactly. But it's also, our work doesn't stop at the time of approval. And not just for vaccines, for all medicines, from simple painkillers all the way up to high-tech cancer medicines, we have a system of safety monitoring that's, that's, you know, long set up and very robust. And I suppose we're just seeing an example of that actually working in real time and under 
scrutiny, but, but I mean, we're very open for it to be transparent. So we knew at the time of approval, although we had a very good handle on how safe the vaccines were, because they were some of the largest clinical trials ever performed and assessed for, for any medicine, you know, with, with tens and indeed 20 and 30,000 of people receiving the very various vaccines. And, and, I, and I don't want to interrupt you, but when you say some of the largest clinical trials, you know, you're going to get the naysayers who say, well, was this not rushed? You know, and suddenly we had a vaccine within six or seven months or nine months or whatever it happened to be. But the point I suppose you're making is that these trials would have been going on long before that, before COVID-19 even came, because we've had coronavirus and SARS-CoV-1 anyway. So these vaccines were already in production. They just had to be tweaked. Is that what you're Correct, saying? Correct, Niall. Yeah, a lot of the underlying technologies had, had, had long been around. And, and certainly... Uh, the, the development had to be accelerated to respond to a pandemic because otherwise, you know, we, uh, I suppose the, both the regulatory world and the, the companies and the developers and the academics wouldn't really be responding to the real-life situation of a pandemic. But no steps were skipped. Some of the steps were able to ha- sort of overlap and happen in parallel, you know, and I, I suppose uh, a, a lot of factors and a huge scientific um, endeavour went into that. But none of the, none of the, that, that accelerated timeline doesn't result in any compromised standards. But well, we have a good understanding of, of the safety at the time of approval because of the large trials. We knew that it's only when you get into the hundreds and thousands and millions that potentially very rare or unexpected side effects may emerge. And in a mass vaccination campaign where you're trying to vaccinate most of your population, we expected that this might happen. So we have an established safety monitoring system. So that Okay, so it's, an, it's, an, it's an amplified, it's basically an amplified result because of the amount that we're giving out in a short period of time in comparison to any other vaccine we've ever delivered in the past. But That's, I, that's, that's absolutely okay. a very important factor. All right, but in relation to the AstraZeneca and the J&J, for people who are concerned about blood clots, and I'm getting people all the time saying, oh God, I, I, you know, I get blood clots, should I not get it? Or, you know, I mean, all this kind of thing. I mean, it's the figures at the moment they're suggesting is somewhere between one and five people out of a million. Uh, and to some people, that seems like an awful lot. But it's not really, I suppose, when you're talking about over 65 and the risk of COVID-19 versus the risk of a blood clot from a vaccine. Yeah, that, that's a very important point, Niall. And I think I'll just take a second to maybe differentiate the very special type of clotting syndrome that was the focus of the review and that was picked up from a a very small amount of reports and and I want to reassure people that that's actually an example of how this system really does work quickly, our safety monitoring system, to pick up any even, even very, very rare suspected side effects. But to separate that out from the more common and what are the vast majority of clots that people might be aware of, like clots in the leg or clots in the lung or clots associated with underlying risks or long-haul flights or the contraceptive pill, the clots that we are talking about here that have been associated with the vaccine, they're a very special, very rare type. And people who are worried about the more common clots, I would like to give them some reassurance that we do not have any evidence to associate the vaccine with the vast majority of clots. And indeed, you know, and in consultation with clotting, blood clotting doctor specialists, we don't think that those people would be at any higher risk of this very rare special condition. And it's just, and it's quite complicated to explain, but it's a situation where blood clots happen at the same time as the immune system causing special little blood cells called platelets. And they're called platelets because they look like little small dinner plates under a microscope. Mm-hmm. They usually protect us from bleeding. They, they form protective little clots for little cuts and, and bleeding that you might have. So those 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 figures, those platelets are dropping at the same time of clotting. But you're right; it's 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 exceedingly exceedingly rare, and the exact mechanism has still been worked out by the by the specialist scientists. But it was felt it was appropriate in, in, to be transparent and also to, to to protect public safety by making people aware of this very rare 
situation. So if it does occur. And, our why, and why do these can, two? Can but, I mean, look, we've got a lot of vaccines uh, on the market now, and there's more candidates on the way, of course, because by this time next year, there'll be so many companies producing this particular type of vaccine. I believe even actually Moderna, and I think it may be uh, Pfizer, have actually started to uh, trial a version two, so to speak, of the vaccine that will combat other variants. Uh, but in relation to this particular vaccine and, and the AstraZeneca and the J&J, why is it these two particular ones seem to have similar side effects? Well, first I'd like to say that, yeah, the, all of the vaccines currently improved, including the AstraZeneca and the J&J vaccine, have demonstrated themselves to be highly effective vaccines. And indeed with AstraZeneca, with data from the UK, that out in the real world are having a real beneficial effect. Why they might be associated with this very rare and sort of special or peculiar risk isn't fully ascertained. They are different from the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. All of them essentially do the same thing. They, they produce within your body a version of the spike protein, which is, you've seen all seen the pictures yes, of the, the little picture. tennis ball with the little spike sticking out of them. They produce a version of that that can't cause the virus, it can't cause coronavirus in your body, but it causes your immune cells, the special cells that fight protection, to recognize it sort of be pre-armed and then if you did get exposed to the real virus that you can fight it and stop you getting sick and we've seen the, the, mm-hmm. the benefits of that happening. The technology in terms of the, um, the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson, they just use a separate way of presenting the spike. But it's, it's probably still premature to say exactly why that might be happening. But I suppose what we can say for the other vaccines, we haven't seen this phenomenon uh, arise okay. yet. Up to, you know, a few weeks ago, it was, I suppose, a correlation more than a causation. You know, we were still analysing when it was initially suspended here, uh, going back about three or four weeks ago. Is it established now that those particular small amount of blood clots in the world have actually been caused by the vaccine or is it still at a stage where it's a correlation and we really don't understand if it is the vaccine? Because, of course, if a million people are given a vaccine tomorrow, uh, you know, and 10 people get a blood clot, those 10 people may have got a blood clot whether they were vaccinated or not. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, is it still a correlation or is there a direct connection? Well, I would like to emphasize that the vast majority of clots, including the vast majority of clots that may be reported into us in association just with the timing of a vaccine, are purely coincidental. We know that there's a certain amount of clots that will happen every year, and we've got you know long-established data for that because clots in the leg, clots in the lung, you know, they're not actually that rare in medicine. We see them all the time. But uh, and I can reassure people that the numbers of those aren't occurring at any higher frequency than in any normal time without vaccination. So while it hasn't been completely established, we felt there was enough evidence of this special syndrome, which has only affected a, a, a few people per million, where something in the immune system is causing these blood platelets to drop and then counterintuitively cause clotting. It was felt that that was at least plausible to be associated with the vaccine, and that's why the product information, so the list of side effects and warnings that are in your leaflet for not just vaccines, but for any medicine, it was felt that that should be listed as one of the possible, but astonishingly rare side effects. Uh, in relation to reporting side effects, and I think this is important with all vaccines and medications that people report any side effects, and most side effects, by the way, are usually correlation. They're usually something that would have happened to you anyway. Uh, but in relation to reporting them, or if you are concerned that you know you've got a vaccine and you might have experienced something that's different to what you would have expected, you know, obviously you you might get a pain in your arm, you might have a raised temperature the next day, you might have slight flu symptoms, uh, which should go away very quickly, which is a good sign, by the way, according to most scientists, because it proves that your antibodies are actually working and your body is built building up immunity. But if you if you find something that you perceive not to be to be unusual, I mean, what should you do? Yeah, we, we would encourage people to report any suspected side effects, uh, you know, even if they're be it members of the public or the doctors or the pharmacy, even if they're not sure or they don't maybe particularly think it's caused by the vaccine. 
uh, you know, this, what we call it the spontaneous reporting system. So receiving import reports from members of the public or their, or their doctors or their pharmacists is really important. It's sort of the bedrock of our safety monitoring system. But we don't look at those reports in isolation. We take them in, we assess them, we analyze them, we feed them into this wide European safety monitoring system to look at all the evidence and to determine is this something new or is it already something we knew about or is it a slight change uh, and we, we've really reinforced our system in, in Ireland and H4A and throughout Europe to be able to react to these reports, given that this is a mass vaccination campaign. We have a dedicated team of about 40 people with doctors, pharmacists, scientists and, and, and other staff receiving in these reports. Um, so we do encourage people to report at hpra.ie on our website. There's a big banner there bringing you straight into any reports, suspected side effects associated mm -hmm. with the COVID-19 vaccines. So I would encourage people... To, to report, but they should also look at the, the package leaflet, the product information that lists out all, all the, side the effects. common side effects. And I would effects, like to reassure yeah. your listeners, if I just if I have a second, that well, we have, of course have received in reports, given that almost a million people, I think, in Ireland have now received the vaccine, and we would expect that we've received in the order of about six thousand reports of suspected side effects. The vast, vast majority of those describe what we would typically expect, and you've said some of it yourself there: the the pain and redness and swelling in the arm and the sort of flu-like symptoms that for most people will just last a day or two and they'll get better without any specific treatment. If things are persisting or they're very unusual symptoms, of course we would encourage not only people to report them, but also to, to, to seek advice from their healthcare professional as well. And just one final question before you just a text in here. And I know you said you act, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, and I, I suppose uh, with cooperation of other agencies around the world who all work together to establish side effects. Somebody says, uh, Dear Nile, um, can you ask him about Denmark withdrawing the AstraZeneca from its vaccination program and why they've decided to this on this course of action? Now, I don't expect you to answer that question, but personally, in relation to what Denmark have done. But if we're acting together, why do we not all act in unison, different countries? Why are we all making different decisions? Why do you think that? Is. Yeah, I completely understand the confusion and frustration that people might have about that. In, in Europe, as regulators, well, we might not agree with every single thing we say to each other. We do act in unison, and that's the, the, at, at the status is that no vaccine has been removed from the market. So they're all available as options for different health systems. Because overall, I want to emphasize that the benefits of all the vaccines currently on the market outweigh the risks. However, we have to have, it's important that we have a bit of independence then, while we provide them with regulatory advice, that we have independence not only in Ireland and, and, the, and the other partnerships throughout Europe, from the other decision makers in the health system who might be the immunisation advisory committees like NIAC in Ireland and the Department of Health, because they have other considerations and many of those considerations would, would boil down to really what is the impact of COVID in your particular country and what alternatives do you have? And, and that's what drives some of those decisions as well. OK, so as we would with age groups, for example, with the AstraZeneca under the age of 60, for example, per se, uh, COVID-19 would be much less risk to somebody that's over the age of 60. Hence, you know, the vaccine or the, the, the side effects certainly are the, the risks of COVID would outweigh the, the risk of the side effect. Absolutely. And actually, as an example, because people may be concerned that m many people now, obviously, over the age of 60 will be offered the AstraZeneca vaccine, although it's quite reassuring there to see yesterday. I think it's quite a positive step. I think maybe 20,000 people signed up in the first couple of hours. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the risk from having the worst out from, from COVID, from, from, from dying, compared to any potential risk of one of these very rare special classes. Certainly over, certainly over the age of 60, yeah. But yeah, 15,000 times greater the risk from COVID in the over 60s. All right. Listen, thank you very much indeed. And I appreciate you coming on the air today and talking to us about it. That is Dr. Donald O'Connor, Senior Medical Officer at the Health Products Regulatory Authority. Vaccine Watch on Ireland's Classic Hits.